Today we're going to be wrapping up a series that we've been calling Under the Sun. And what we've been doing is we've been studying the book of Ecclesiastes. And today we're going to cover chapter 11 and 12. And these chapters are actually probably um, one of my favorite chapters. And uh, it seems like what is such a, a doomy, kind of gloomy book, the, the book that uh, is Ecclesiastes, we kind of get some hope going on in uh, these last few chapters. So I want to just jump right into this. So if you have a, a Bible, you can turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. And we're actually going to pick it up in verse 7 through 8. Before we read anything, let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you that we have an opportunity, God, to come and to worship and to hear from you this morning. God, I just pray that this morning, out of more than anything, that you would change hearts, God. That it would not be my words that are spoken this morning, but God, that you would speak through me. And God, that people would come to know you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So listen, there's no easy way to jump into this. The thing that I love about Solomon is he's just very direct and to the point. You guys know anybody like that? They don't like comedy. They don't like to tell jokes. They're just, they're dry. They're like straight to the point. And sometimes you love them and sometimes you hate them, right? Well, Solomon is like that. He's just right to the point. So let's jump in. Ecclesiastes 11, verse 7 through 8. We're going to read it and we're going to talk about it. It says this, Light is sweet and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. So here's the thing. There is a lot going on in just these two verses. There's just a lot that Solomon is trying to say. So what I want to do is kind of break it down and take it at the very beginning when he says, Light is sweet and pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. Basically, this word light in Ecclesiastes is referring to life. In a sense, and what he's talking about is, do you ever have those days um, when you get out of bed in the morning and life just seems to work? Like it just seems to like go together. We would call this like a good day. Like maybe you get out of bed, you don't have a headache that day, or maybe your kids are well behaved and they didn't destroy your house, or maybe you didn't get any arguments with your spouse. Maybe you just got done having a crawfish boil with a bunch of friends. And at the end of the day, you would look at it and you would say, man, today just worked. It's like life is awesome. Life is good. Maybe you have a day when you wake up and it seems like your friends just love you. Everybody loves you. Your parents are proud of you. Your kids are on task. Your boss praises you for the work that you're doing. Um, your bank account seems to be going well. It just seems like life is working. And Solomon is saying, hey, listen, enjoy those moments. Enjoy those moments when life just seems to work. Enjoy those moments when life just seems to go together. I mean, one of the moments that I sincerely enjoy in life is this, my little girl who's two years old has now started climbing out of the crib. Like she, remember that day when you could just lay the toddler or the baby in the crib and they would actually stay there and you didn't have to worry about them getting out? Well, now she's learned the art of actually climbing out. And so one of her things in the morning now is when she climbs out, she climbs out and then 6, 6.30 in the morning, I hear these like hands like scratching at my bed. And then all of a sudden, like, my covers are starting to get pulled off, and then she's climbing in bed. She doesn't say a word. All she does is she just comes, and she lays right next to me and falls asleep. And it's literally one of the things about the day where I'm just like, man, I treasure these moments because I know in years to come, it's not going to be like that anymore. Or maybe a time when my little girl who's watched Frozen about 70,000 times, if I hear the song, let it go again, I'll break a mirror. Um, 
But she comes, and as she's watching this movie, I'll sit on the couch, and she'll just lay her head on me, or any one of the kids. It's these moments, these small moments in life that we just treasure, that we just enjoy. And when we have these moments, it just seems like life is working, right? It just seems like everything is going well. But the truth is... There are days when we have what we would like to call when we're just like on top of the mountain and like we have this clear view of everything going on around us and life is just working and everything is working cohesively and then there's days when life just doesn't work, right? I would probably beg to differ that it seems like for many of us that we have more days that just don't seem to work than days that do work, right? And so what I want to set up is just kind of this analogy that's going to weave through this sermon is we have days when we're on the mountaintops, and then we have days when we're in the valley. And so really what I want to do today is what do we do with the days when we're in the valley? Because what Solomon is saying here, he said, let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. Like there will be many days when there is monotony, when it's just the same old routine over and over. And what do we do with these days? What do we do? So let's continue reading in verse 8. So if a person lives many years... Let him rejoice in them all. Let's just pause there. I like that if there. So if a person, like if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. So the truth is you will have many dark days. There will be days when you experience pain. There will be days when you experience hurt. There will be days when you wake up in the morning and it just seems like life simply doesn't work. More than likely, most of your days are going to be the same. Um, I, I use this analogy before, but I always think it's hilarious. Is um, How many of you guys use like Facebook or Instagram or any kind of like social media thing? I think everybody in the world at least has something now. Well, if you notice anything about social media is people only post their best moments, right? And, and so like you don't post a moment as a mom when your kids are screaming and you've eaten peanut butter and jelly sandwiches like for the 50th time, right? You're not like, hey, another PB&J. No, what do you do? It's like when you're out and you're eating a steak and you post a picture of your food and, and something like that. And so what happens is we create this thing in culture when you go through um, Facebook, what I like to call is like a highlight reel. If you look at everybody else's like highlight reel and everybody's a social media site, you're like, man, their life is just awesome. And the truth is they're only posting their best moments, Right? I mean, for many of you girls in here, before you actually post a picture on Facebook, you've taken it like 20 times and fixed your hair like 20 times. Like, nope, don't like that one. Nope, don't like that one. Nope. You know what I mean? You're, you want the best of the best of the best. And so what ends up happening is for many of us is we look at this stuff and we go, gosh, my life stinks. But the truth is we're going to have many routine, mundane days that we repeat over and over, and there's nothing wrong with that. Because the key word in this verse, in which is going to weave throughout this entire sermon, is Solomon is saying, remember. Remember your youth. Re remember the days when you used to be able to move around and could do things and play sports. Remember those things. Can you remember that God once set you free, that God once took you from a place where you were in much darkness, can you remember? Can you recall the grace of God to you in the good days, that common grace that God gives to each and every one of us? Listen, whether you know Jesus or you don't, we all live under something called common grace. 
And it's simply this, like the breath in your lungs that you breathe, that's common grace. Your heart's still beating, that's, that's common grace. Your sight, your sound, your taste, that's common grace. And here's what I want to get at this morning. Just because you may be in the mundane, just because you may be in the valley, does not mean that God is far from you. So just because you have days that they seem to keep repeating themselves, and maybe you have days when it doesn't seem like life is just working, it does not mean that God is far away from you. I think many of us just fail to remember who God is and what he's pulled us from. So let's keep reading Ecclesiastes 11, verse 9 through 10. It says, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart in the sight of your eyes. But know for, that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body. For your youth and the dawn of life are vanity. This is what Solomon is saying. If you read this verse, read it in like a sarcastic tone. When he says, okay, listen, walk in the ways of your heart. Just go ahead and do what you want and enjoy those young days and enjoy your youth. But in the end, it's going to catch up with you. Ultimately, what he's saying is you can indulge your senses to all the pleasures you want, but the choices you make will eventually catch up to you. They'll eventually catch up to you. I, um, my wife has always, this has kind of been like this pull in our house back and forth is uh, music. Um, so my wife, and she doesn't know I'm saying this, so I might get in trouble later, but um, when, when my wife, when wife and I first met, I'd like to think that I introduced her to good music, and now she has a good taste because of me. Um, before that, she was listening to just awful music. Um, anyway, so one of the things that one of the one of the things that I've always loved is I've loved Johnny Cash, and not because of the fact that he's just he has the greatest voice in the world or anything like that, because he's just a really really good lyricist and he's a really good songwriter. And so I don't know if you've heard the song. It was probably maybe six seven years ago that he wrote it, and it was a song called "God's Gonna Cut You Down." Anybody remember that song? Here's the lyrics. It says this. You may throw your rock and hide your hand. You can work in the dark against your fellow man, but as sure as God made black and white, what's done in the dark will be brought to the light. You can run on for a long time, but sooner or later, God's going to cut you down. And, and here's the truth. I find for many of us, especially in the younger generation, we falsely believe that we can just continue to do what we want and that our choices are not going to catch up with us. And for those of you that are older now, you know that those choices have caught up with you. Because the one thing that you indulged in in your youth is now the thing that you're tangled up in in your older days. Right? The one thing that you thought was just fun and games and I'm going to have a good time is now enslaving you. And now you don't know how to break free. The truth is it's impossible to hide forever. The truth is it's the reason why we need to get into biblical community. It's why we need to get into a life group and to allow ourselves to truly be known. So let's go ahead and wrap up this series, and we're going to do it in uh, chapter 12. But before we read anything, I want to give you guys an example. Have you guys ever woke up in the morning, or you went to bed one night, and like your body was fine? Like your neck was fine, your back felt great, and then you wake up the next morning and you feel like a 200-year-old man. You're like, what is wrong with my neck? What is going on with my back? Like you get out of bed and you're like, I can barely move. And there's just something going on. And the truth is what's happening is, is your youth is leaving you. 
Like your body is starting to break down. Your body is starting to fail. As you get older, you quickly realize you don't have the body of a 17-year-old anymore. Right? Like if you have kids in here, maybe in your 30s or 40s, you can quickly realize that you don't have the body of a 17-year-old anymore. Just go play with your kids. My, my kids, uh, the other day, we're playing hide-and-seek in the house, and we're running everywhere. Like, we don't play anything slow-paced. It's just fast-paced. When you have boys, you, pay, you play everything fast-paced. As we're playing hide-and-seek, we're running around, and my boys are like, let's, Dad, let's keep going. I'm like, sons, take a break. I need a break. They're like, no, let's keep going. Why? They, they're so full of life. They're so full of energy. But as we get older, our body begins to fail us. We begin to have aches. We begin to have pains. Glasses are not a fashion statement. They're a necessity now, right? Some of us, heating pads, they're the best invention known to mankind to soothe your aching bones and muscles. The truth is your youth is constantly slipping away. And here's, I want to pause for a moment because, listen, if you're older in here, I don't want you to tune me out because a lot of this is geared towards youth, but there's, at the end of this, we're going to flip it around full circle. The truth is, no amount of lotion and makeup can get rid of your wrinkles. All counterintuitive to what you may believe, every commercial will say that this lotion will take your wrinkles away, but no matter what, you can put it on as much as you want, and you're still going to get wrinkles. Why? Your youth is leaving you. You can work out every single day of the week, but the fact is you're still going to get older. You're still getting older. And so today, Solomon is going to remind us of two things. Number one, remember God in your youth. And two, your youth is going to fail you. So let's pick it up. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 1. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth. Before the evil days come and the years draw near, at which you will say, I have no pleasure so this is what he's saying. He said, listen, while you're young, pursue Jesus. Because the older that you get, the sin that you indulge in now is only going to be harder to break free from. So the first point that I want to make is this. When we fail to remember what God has brought us from, we often repeat the mistakes of the past. When we forget what God pulled us from, like maybe some of you, you've been, in, you've been saved for 20, 15 years, however long it is, and maybe you're so fixated on those mundane days, those days when life just doesn't seem to work, and you're going, God, where are you? And you fail to forget what God has brought you from and what he set you free from. Because we're so fixated on the here and the now that we forget what God has done in our life. So if you're holding on, if you're still holding on to your youth, you're still clinging on to, to your young days, maybe you're, in your, you're, you're a teenager, maybe you're in your 20s, maybe you're in your early 30s, this verse is a warning to you. Seek freedom from your sin now because the older you get, the darker it becomes. The older you get, the darker it becomes. So many teenagers and young adults believe that when they get older, they will get away from the grip and the sting of sin. And the truth is, sin only grips tighter and tighter and tighter the longer that you try to wrestle with it. Um, there's an author by the name of Frank Peretti, and he wrote this book called Monster. And I actually didn't read through the whole thing, but one of the things that struck me in the very introduction is he said, like, sin 
is a raging monster. And if you try to wrestle with it, it's going to consume you every single time. The truth is, on our own, we're, we're no match for sin. And in our younger days, we truly think we are, that we are. We truly think that, hey, I can have fun. I can live it up. I can do all this stuff now. And then one day, I'll just shake it. One day, I'll get right with Jesus. But the truth is, life is so short, you don't know how many days you have left. Because here's the truth. Right now, maybe you're in a dating relationship and you're allowing sin to permeate and enter into that relationship. And it's okay to just leave the girlfriend or leave the boyfriend. But here's what happens if you keep that pattern up. It's no longer leaving a girlfriend. The older you get, now it's leaving a wife and a family is being torn apart. You see what I'm saying? Like, so we, 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 we falsely believe that, hey, I can deal with this, I can manage it. The truth is, you can never manage sin. Ever. Ever. You cannot manage it. John Owen famously said this. He said, be killing sin or it will kill you. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. As soon as you try to say that your sin is not a big deal, it truly is game over. The truth is, sin is such a big deal that he sent his one and only son to set us free from it, as we talked about last week. Right? So listen, no sin that you struggle with, you may say, oh, it's just minute, it's just small. Do whatever you have to do to begin to submit that to the authority and the lordship of Jesus Christ. So here's the flip side of this. So if you're younger, Solomon is trying to remind us, hey, remember Jesus, pursue Jesus in your younger days. Now if you're older, this is what he's saying. If your youth is long gone, this is a call to remember this is a call to remember. Do you remember what God set you free from? Do you remember what God brought you from? Or are you so hung up on your current situation that you've forgotten what God has brought you from? This is a simple example of the children of Israel. They were set free of slavery, right? God parted the Red Sea and literally swallowed up the enemy. He's leading the children of Israel to freedom. He's leading them to the promised land. What's crazy is God led them by a cloud at day and fire at night. That's a whole lot better than a frustrating iPhone for a GPS, right? I mean, that would be awesome. And my wife, I'm one of those guys, like, in the car, if my iPhone messes up, like, I want to just chunk it out of the window. If it, well, quick story, a few years ago, my wife and I were celebrating our anniversary in Dallas, and, uh, I have my iPhone and we're looking for a coffee shop and so we're going around and we've got this GPS and it's, I think it's mapped to Starbucks or something like that and we're driving all around and we start getting around and like, man, this is a sketchy part of town. Alright, well, just keep going because we like blindly follow the iPhone, right? So we just keep going and long story short, we end up in like the ghetto and it pulls up to this house and the iPhone's like, you have arrived at your destination. I was like, this is not Starbucks. And so we pull out, we go to the gas station, I get out of the gas station, because my pregnant wife at the time has to go to the bathroom, she's like, I'm not peeing in there. I'm not peeing in there. I'm like, well, I will. So I walk into the bathroom, and I kid you not, this is not an exaggeration to make my point, I kid you not, I walk into the bathroom, there's a drug deal going on, I'm like, I'm not peeing in here either. <laughs> but... It would be awesome to know that, listen, how amazing would that be? Instead of being so frustrated with the GPS, you're like, God, just give me a cloud. You know, flame, a little flame will do. I'll follow that to my destination. Yet, the children of Israel stayed in the desert for 40 years because they failed to remember what God had brought them from. 
They failed to remember that God had given their freedom and they were on their way to the promised land. The truth is they complained more than they thanked God for his grace and his mercy. And so here's the hard fact, is this, maybe you're still in the valley because you fail to remember what Christ has set you from, set you free from, and you can't see past your circumstances. See, we so easily forget that God set us free from slavery. We forget, when we tend to forget this is what happens, we take matters into our own hands. And the truth is, we're awful gods. We're awful gods. When we tend to forget that God has brought us from this dark place in our life and maybe he's moved us at one place to this, this point of freedom and victory and now we're in another dark situation and instead of relying on and pursuing Jesus in that situation, we go, God, you know, let's step back, I got it because I'm not seeing you do anything. And so we take matters into our own hands. Instead of believing and trusting God to restore that marriage or restore your husband or restore your wife, what do you do? Oh, I'll fix him. I'll fix him. We're awful gods. We're awful gods. We fail to remember. So Solomon is about to take a shift in what he's writing. And this is in Ecclesiastes um, verses 2 through 8. 12, 2 through 8. It says this, Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened, and the clouds return after the air, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble, and the strong men are bent, and the grinders cease because they are few. And those who look through the windows of dim, and the doors on the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low, and one rises up at the sound of the bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low, they are afraid also of what is high and terrors in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails. Because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, and, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanities. I know you read this and you're going, what in the world is going on here? I promise you I'm going to explain this in a second. But number two. When your identity is rooted in your abilities, it's like trying to walk on quicksand. You can run through it, but eventually you're going to sink. Listen, we've got to constantly remember that our youth, every single day, is leaving us. Our youth is failing us. Let me ask you a question, and I think I've done this before, but how powerful today is Adolf Hitler? He's not that powerful, right? He's dead. This is a powerful man who relied on his abilities to strong arm, to manipulate, and to turn an entire country to what he believed. But today he's not that powerful. Why? Because his youth has left him and now he is dead. How pretty is Marilyn Monroe right now today? Not that pretty. She's dead. How athletic is Muhammad Ali? Not that athletic. He's like, he can barely talk now, right? How smart is Albert Einstein? He's not that smart today because he's dead. Here's the truth. If your identity is rooted in your abilities, it will fail you according to Ecclesiastes 12. So let's explain this first a little bit. He's going to throw it on the screen in a second. I want to walk through something. Okay. So I have each single one underlined, and this is what Solomon is saying. He's going to make, not an attempt, I think he does a very, very good job to remind us of, hey, 
You're getting older, and if your identity is, is built on how smart you are, or how strong you are, or how beautiful you are, or how athletic you are, if your identity is wrapped in those things, it will one day fail you, and ultimately, if it fails you, then what is your identity? So here's the thing. When he says strong men are bent, he's saying this, your youthful back will one day fail you. Like one day you're going to get out of bed and your bones and your muscles are not going to work right. When he says your grinders cease, this is what he's saying. He says those teeth that you have that you rely on to chew your food, one day they won't be there. He says your, when he says your windows are dimmed, he says your once 2020 vision will be no more and glasses will be a necessity, right? <coughs> When he says the doors on the street are shut, the opportunities that you once had when you were strong and able will be no more. When he says the sound of the grinding is low, he's talking about your hearing. He said your hearing is going to fail you. When he says the almond trees blossom, this is what he's saying. He says, ladies, we all know your hair is gray. You just dye it. That's what he's saying. He says, your hair is going to turn gray. He says, the grasshopper drags itself along. He says, you're going to one day need assistance walking. And then I love this, how he puts this at the end. He talks about all the things that are going to fail you. And he's like, oh, and by the way, desire is going to fail you. I find it funny that he puts it at the end, especially a man writing it. At the very end, he's saying, okay, finally one day your sexual drive will leave you. Your sexual drive that you thought would never go away. And then he says that the silver cord is snapped and the pitcher is shattered. And this is what he's saying. He says that one day death will visit us all. Nobody escapes it. So here's the deal. If your identity is rooted in how well you can perform in certain things, then it's not much of an identity. If your identity is rooted in like how well you can shoot a gun or how well you can run a business or how well you can outperform every person at your job or how beautiful or how pretty you are or how good of a mom you are or how good of a husband or a father you are. If it's rooted in any of those things or how artistic you are or how smart you are. If your identity is founded upon any of those things, what Solomon is saying is one day that will all leave. One day, if your identity is rooted in your abilities, what this body can accomplish, and he's saying, really, you don't have much. Our identity must be rooted in Jesus. So the third point that I want to make is this. If your identity is rooted in Jesus, then get this, the outcome is joy. Because here's the thing, your body may fail you. Your strength may fail you. Your abilities may fail you. But Jesus is eternal and everlasting. And he's never going to fail. So if our hope and our joy is placed in an eternal Jesus, then it's never going to leave and it's never going to fail. Christ is eternal and so is your soul. So the question that I have this morning is, why wouldn't we want to root our identity in something that lasts forever, which is Jesus? Listen, I, I know the game. I know it's so hard. It's so easy to get caught up in how good we are, how well we can perform, especially if you're a man. 
especially when you go to a job, it, the entire atmosphere is competition, right? Like men thrive off of competition. Outperforming, outworking, outdoing. What happens when one day you can't do that anymore? What happens when you can't perform? What happens when you don't have your strength? If either your source of joy is mortal, your joy will be taken away. Meaning if your identity is wrapped up in your abilities, then one day your joy will be taken away from you here on this earth because you no longer can do what you used to do. How many people center their identity around their abilities? I've found myself here many, many times. You know what ends up happening, especially this, is if you find your identity and your abilities, then you're always playing this game of comparison. You're always playing the game of comparison. Well, hey, she takes care of her kids better than I do. And so you're always trying to live up to maybe this standard. And when you finally get to that standard, then so-and-so comes along, and she's a whole lot better than you are. And so you're constantly playing this game of comparison. So instead of celebrating people and what they can accomplish, you're constantly demoralizing them. Why? Because they're a threat to your identity. So maybe you're the new guy that walks into the job, and maybe you're just getting, man, you're, it's like hard for you right now. Chances are, if, if you're a man and you walk into a new job, sometimes they give you hell because of the fact that you're threatening their job. You're threatening their identity. I don't want you to take this away from me. I've worked for 15 years to achieve what I have. But here's the thing. If your identity is rooted in Christ, you're totally free. Like, people can pass you up. People can be better at, than, at things than you are. And you're totally okay with it. You can celebrate their giftings and what God has given them because your identity is not wrapped up in their abilities. Listen, I would, I would be crushed every time that I come and I step on this stage because there are many guys that can do a much better job than I can. And if my identity is in how well I can speak or how well I can pass or how well I can write or how well I can do any of these things, then listen, there's always going to be somebody that can do it better than me. Always. If my identity is found in that, then I'm constantly crushed and I'm never happy. There's never joy because I'm constantly having to compete. If your joy is based on how well you can perform, I ask the question again, then what happens when you can't perform anymore? The truth is you're crushed. You don't know what to do. Your identity is taken from you. This is what Jesus said to Martha at the tomb of Lazarus, and I love this. John 11, verse 25 to 26, he says, I am the resurrection, and then get this, I am life. He who believes in me, though he may die, yet he shall live. And whoever lives, believes in me, shall never die. This is what he's saying. If your identity is rooted in me, one, nobody can take it away from you. And two, guess what? Though your body may fail you here on this earth, you will never die. You'll live forever with me in paradise. So two great reasons why no one can take your identity from you are this. Jesus, which is the source of your identity, will never die. And those who have Jesus as their source of identity will never die. And some of you may say, well, Christians do die, right? People do 
die. None of us can escape death. And yes, in one sense we do, but the most, in the most important sense, that Jesus never dies. And if our lives are surrendered and submitted to him, then that means that there is this eternal line that can never be broken. Scripture says not life or death or angels or principalities or things present or things to come or powers or height or depth or anything else in creation will be able to take your joy from us in Jesus Christ. Like if your identity is wrapped up in Jesus, then listen, you can play the comparison game all you want. People around you can do it. People can find their identity and their abilities. If your identity is rooted in Jesus, nobody can take it away from you. Nobody. See, joy in being with Jesus is an unbroken line from now until eternity. So here's what I want to wrap this message up with. Is listen, it doesn't matter where you fall in the spectrum. Maybe you're 20, maybe you're 30, maybe you're 50, 60, 70. We all have to be aware that no matter where we're at in the scale of age, all of us, all of us, our abilities are failing. Like, there will come a day when you can't do what you used to do anymore. There will come a day when you can't do what you used to do. And if your identity is wrapped up in that, then what you have is like I said in point two. It's like trying to run on quicksand as fast as you can. Eventually you're going to sink. And listen. For some of you in here, like you're tired. You're tired of performing. You're, you're tired of playing the game of comparison and competition because you know that your youth is failing. Because you know that as like you're going, how long can I play this game? How long can I keep this act up? And listen, there's so much freedom when you just let all of that go and say, God, help me to find my identity in you. It's like instantly you can stop playing, instantly you can stop putting on masks, instantly you can go, all right, God, I want my identity and my joy and who I am to come from being with you. From being with you. So all Ecclesiastes, this entire um, four weeks that we've spent in this book, there's this one main theme that has been weaving throughout the text. We said it in the past few weeks now. You can have everything and still have nothing if you don't have Jesus. Listen, you can be the best worker, the best performer at your job. Listen, you can have everything that money can buy and everything that this world claims will give you happiness. But at the end of the day, if your identity and your joy is not rooted in Christ, you don't have much. Why? Because everything here on this earth is temporal. It will not last. You cannot take it with you. The only thing that matters is two things. The people sitting next to you and the relationship that you have with Jesus. That's it. That's it. So listen, I conclude this series with this. If you don't know Jesus this morning... Or maybe, maybe, maybe you said, hey, for five years, maybe you've claimed that you know Jesus, but you don't really know Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning and you're saying, God, you know what? I'm hearing all this. And I just I want to make a decision to follow 
you this morning. I don't want to play games anymore. I don't want to compete anymore. I don't want to rely on my abilities and find my identity in any of that. I want to find my identity in Christ. If that's you, just every head bow, every eye closed in here. If that's you this morning, would you just simply slip your hand up? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Many of you. Many of you. Let's do this. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for each and every person, God, that one is either making a decision to follow you for the first time, or God, maybe they simply raise their hand and just say, hey, listen, I'm caught up in trying to find my identity and my abilities. God, I pray that you would be their source. God, they would find life in you. God, I pray that for those that are following you for the first time, making a decision to make you as the Lord of their life, God, God, that they would start off with a repentant and a broken heart. They would come clean to you. God, they would not have to feel like they had to be somebody they're not. God, that I pray that they would also seek out other godly men and women that can help them walk through this journey. In Jesus' name.